great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Amen, amen. You're going to hear and, and experience a theme of the Lord's Prayer today. And I just want to give it up to Brian and Teresa for that uh, wonderful special. My goodness, that was awesome. And I also want to say thank you to your pastor. We've been friends now for eight months, and uh, man, you have an excellent, top-shelf, amazing, Bronco rootin' pastor and Pastor Ryan and his family. Isn't that the truth? I just want to say thanks to Ryan and the whole staff here for their hospitality and, and just uh, ministering to me as I come to minister uh, the word today. And I have been friends with Larry Boatwright for 20 years. We actually traveled for a year in a praise and worship band together. So if you need any stories on him, uh, I've got all types. And so while he's away in Oklahoma, um, let's just talk bad about Larry and uh, have a good day. Um, now, on, on the screen is my family. This is my wife of 15 years, uh, Jennifer, and together we have Haley, Carter, and Griffin. And although we, we did pastor in Oklahoma for about 12, 13 years, um, we are all dire Broncos fans. So when God said, go to Colorado, I said, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. And let's make this happen. And so my dad actually grew up in Sterling. My aunt lives just south of, of, of the church here in Highlands Ranch. And so it just kind of feels like it's extended family. And it's an honor to be here uh, with you this morning. As I get to share on the Lord's Prayer in this series, the Sermon on the Mount, the art of human flourishing, I want to specifically talk about the purposes of prayer, the purposes of prayer. About two, three years ago, my son Carter came up to me, who's now eight, but then he was five or six, and he, with his big eyes, he said, Dad, I want to play t-ball. And I said, okay, son, let's do this. So we went and bought cleats and a glove and a helmet and a bat, and we went to our first t-ball practice with a bunch of kids, four, five, six-year-old kids who had never played ball before. The coach had played collegiate athlete, uh, athletics, so he was uh, all in, a big guy. And, and so, you know, the first thing is all the kids line up and begin to throw a ball back and forth to each other. And, and I'm sitting back in my chair, in my lawn chair, and I realize I had not done due diligence because Carter could not properly throw a baseball. And as I was sitting there as, as an athlete myself, I thought, where have I gone wrong as a father? And the coach kept hollering at him and saying, Carter, step into it. And Carter would throw and then step. <laughs> now step into it. And he would step and then throw. And there's a rhythm to throwing a baseball. It seems really easy if you grew up, but, but for your first experience of throwing a baseball, there's a rhythm to it. And if you hadn't had previous practice, it's really difficult for a four or five-year-old kid to throw a baseball. When the time came for the kids to practice hitting off a tee, only two went to first base. Most of them went to second, and some went to third. 
because they had never experienced the game. I don't even know if they knew how to keep score. I, I, they, they were, I mean, they, these were entry-level baseball players. I was sitting there humiliated as a father. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, this is like the kingdom of God. It seems so easy if you've served God, if you've, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but if you just first come into it and we say things like, blessed are the meek, blessed are the mourners, forgive, give, worship. It seems abnormal to someone who comes into the church or the kingdom of God for the first time because there's a rhythm to it. And just like baseball, when I stand up, in here, stand up today and say, let's pray, some of you feel very apprehensive. You go, oh my goodness, I've never done this before. I, I, I've never prayed before. Last week, we were in my son's bedroom and had a little devotional. I looked at our two-year-old. I said, Griffin, would you like to pray? And he said, no, Daddy, it's too hard. And pastoring for 15 years, I've heard that many times, not just from two-year-olds, but from seasoned men and women in the kingdom of God who say, oh, we're not going to pray. And then the pastor comes along, puts his hands on their shoulder and says, hey, you want to pray out loud at service? No. And so there's this angst, this anxiety that comes with prayer. And what I would just want to, maybe maybe you've experienced that. Man, prayer is just difficult. And what I want you to see this morning is that the purpose of prayer is not to perfect it, but to allow it to perfect you. The purpose of prayer is not for you to perfect it. In fact, we'll look here in a minute how Jesus actually spoke against that. Because it's so much more than just words and lip service. It's not about you perfecting it, but it's about allowing prayer to perfect you. Now, the reason we have the Lord's Prayer in Scripture in Matthew chapter 6 is because a disciple, according to Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, Jesus had prayed and he completed his prayer. And then a disciple went to Jesus and said, Lord... Teach us to pray as John has taught his disciples to pray. And so if you've ever had that question, how to pray, you're in good company because a disciple who had a Jewish background who knew something about prayer because the Jews would pray at least twice a day. They had morning prayers and evening prayers. On the Sabbath in the synagogue, they had 18 prayers of repentance. That makes our prayer seem pretty simple today, doesn't it? And so a Jew would have an understanding of prayer. A a practicing Jew would have an insight to prayer. But yet, here's a disciple of Jesus, and he leans in. He's not a two-year-old. He's a mature man, and he says, Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, I have served God since I was five years old, 35 years. I've been reared in the church, and and, in the last couple years, I'm still going through this formation of God, teach me to pray. Because in prayer, it's a growing process. You never arrive in your prayer life. So why then did the disciple ask, Jesus, teach us to pray? Lord, teach us 
to pray. He knew down deep it was more than lip service. He knew down deep it was more than ritualistic sayings. It was more than history. There was something deeper to prayer that, that he was hungry for. Matthew Henry says that prayer is lifting up the soul and pouring out your heart. I love that. Prayer is lifting up one's soul and, and pouring out one's heart. Adam Clark, a uh, Methodist theologian from the 1600s, said, Prayer is not designed to inform God, but to give man a sight of his misery, to humble his heart, to excite his desire, to inflame his faith, to animate his hope, to raise his soul from earth to heaven, and to put him in mind that there is his father, his country, and inheritance. John Corson says, when we pray, we don't need to inform the Lord or convince the Lord. We need to connect with the Lord. In Matthew 6, 8, Jesus said the same thing. Jesus said, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. So, so prayer, the goal of prayer, the goal of prayer is not to impress, it's not to entice, and it's not to inform God, the goal of prayer is to fellowship with your heavenly Father. It is to connect on with Him at a deep level. So what is prayer? What is prayer? When I pastored in Oklahoma, our church grew significantly, uh, significantly similar to South Fellowship. And I had an office kind of in the inner uh, chamber of the office suite. And, and my three children had access to my office. Now, we had a, a large staff and they all had small children. And, and all their parents kept them out of my office. But my kids had access into my office. And to be honest, it, it annoyed me. Because I would go in after preaching or, or after a long day and my telephone would be unhooked. Post-it notes would be everywhere. All the pens would be uh, ruffled through. Scissors would be out. Remnants of cutting up paper was in the floor. Just a mess. But my kids had access to my office based on relationship, based on the fact that I was their father. And William Barclay says, and I don't mean to simplify prayer, but he defines prayer as simple access. Access, unrestrained, unrestricted access to the presence of God. And in the presence of God is when you and I as a Christ follower grow and mature and grow up in Christ. It's in his very presence that we grow. And William Barclay says prayer at its simplest form is simply access. And so if it's access, why should you and I pray if it's not about informing God, if it's not about enticing God, if it's not about impressing God? Why should we pray? And we should pray because it's an expression of a trusted relationship. We should pray then because it's a, an expression of a trusted relationship. Now, if you're married in the room, you're going to have a deep and at least a, a more comprehensive view of prayer. 
Because in your marriage relationship, it's not all about impressing, enticing, and informing. Something I was not prepared for when I married Jennifer 15 years ago was there's this one word that you, especially as a man, have to lean into and learn, and that is the the art of listening. Can I get an amen from all the husbands in the room? We we did not come conditioned to listen. We can hear, but hearing and listening are two separate things. And when the Broncos are on, it's not a good time to have a deep discussion. Can I get an amen from all the men and husbands in the house? It's like every time OU played, Jen says, can we talk? No. Come back in three hours and we can talk. But there's this art of listening. And in prayer, there's this art of listening. It's not all about enticing and informing and and, and, and impressing God, but it's this, this, ex, this expression of a trusted relationship. And so Jesus answers this question of a disciple, teach us to pray. How should we pray? And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Dallas Cowboys fans do, I mean as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So off the bat, right at the start of this, Jesus is saying it's not about lip service. It's what Matthew Henry called soul service. You see, when you take your vehicle into the service, it's to get an oil change and check the fluids and and all this stuff. And, And when we go into prayer, it's for soul service. It's to allow the Holy Spirit through the Word of God in relationship with Christ to begin to heal our soul. It's not about lip service, it's about soul service. Verse 8, Jesus says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And in verse 9, we have this very famous prayer. We, the church, calls the Lord's Prayer. Earlier in the church, they called it the Disciples' Prayer. And I, I sense that you're a mature group, at least here at the 9 o'clock service. We'll deal with the 1045 later, but... If you would, can we say this prayer out loud? But listen, don't don't say it like ritualistically. Let's just take a moment and pause and say it deep from our soul. So maybe you want to bow your head or lift your head. Maybe you want to close your eyes. If you don't know it and you're new to church, maybe you've never prayed before. It's on the screen. But this is really a community prayer. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. But let's just pray this prayer out loud together. Our Father in heaven. power and the glory forever. Amen. So today I want to dig into this text and discover four purposes of prayer. Four purposes of prayer. Number one is this, it moves us into God's collective. 
It moves us into God's collective. Now, when you think about the very first word in the prayer, it is not me or my, it is our Father. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we pray as a church in a community, it, 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 it places us into God's collective from different backgrounds, from, from different ethnicities, from different countries. Now we're coming together under one banner, as we sang earlier, the banner of the name of Jesus, and we cry out, Our Father, Our Father. So in prayer, we participate in God's community called the kingdom of God. In prayer, it moves us into the kingdom of God. As I thought about this this week, I was thinking that, that, that prayer rips us from the desires of self-idolatry and self-identity. And it places us inside of this family known as the church, as a collective group of people, as the body of Christ. And so when we pray our Father, as one of my mentors has said, it removes us from the false trinity of me, myself, and I, and it places us in the real trinity of God our Father, God Lord Jesus, and God Holy Spirit. And so when we pray, it removes this self-sufficiency from our lives. And it places us into a church body. I just want to say this. This isn't in my notes, but you need the church maybe more than you recognize or confess. Iron sharpens iron as one brother sharpens another. You were meant for community. You were meant to be a part of what God is doing. And so when we say our Father, it gives us this excellent, healthy view of God, but it also gives us a healthy view of each other. Because all of a sudden, it's not about me. It's not about my needs and my desires. It's not about being self-sufficient and a self-made man, but it's our Father. And when you see God as ours, when you see God as in this community of believers, then you're ready to say, hallowed be thy name. It's in that community that now you're ready to worship and praise God in his name. Hallowed be thy name. That simply means God is set apart. He is Holy. There's none like him in all of uh, the earth. There's none like him in all generations. He is a standalone God, self sufficient. And we pray, Our Father, hallowed be thy name. You see, reverence only comes in relationship. And so you can't say, Hallowed be thy name, if you don't see God as Father. Because reverencing God or, or setting him apart in your mind only comes in the relationship of our Father. So we declare God as holy. We declare God as gracious. We declare God as self-sufficient one. We declare God as Savior. We declare God as healer because we know him as Father. And here's the why. When you come together as a church in small groups, in meetups, in serve teams, 
you begin to visit and talk about God. And in that discussion, in that friendship, comes a different view of God. You see, you may know God as Savior, and He redeemed you and delivered you out of literally a life of hell, but your friend might know Him as healer. And and your other friend might know Him as redeemer, restorer, restoring a marriage, restoring a family that seemed lost. And you come together, and now you can say, Oh, our Father, hallowed be your name. I have a deeper understanding of you because of what Teresa's going through, because of what Mark is going through. I see you now not only as my Savior, but I see you as Redeemer, Restorer, Healer. That's why relationships are so important. They give us a deeper view of God. And so prayer moves us into God's collective. It removes us from being self-sufficient, having a self-identity that moves into self-idolatry. The second thing, and I struggled with this point, is that prayer moves us to collaborate with God. But my struggling, I hope, came, uh, out of my struggling comes a clear understanding of what this means. Dallas Willard says... Prayer is a collaboration with God. Now, I don't, no means do I mean to humanize God. And no, no, no means do I mean that God is like one of us. But as I've studied this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's truly us collaborating with God. In other words, when we pray that, we cannot drop the mic and walk off. And be done. No, 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 no. That's not what this prayer means. What this prayer means, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, means I must align my life with God's purpose and principles on the earth. It means that we are to actively participate in God's promises, we are to actively participate in God's will being done on earth. We are to align our purpose with God's purpose and saying, let your kingdom come. In fact, the way I pray this is I, when I get to this part of the prayer every morning, I say this, let me participate in bringing your kingdom to earth and let me participate in doing your will on earth as it is in heaven. We can't pray it, drop the mic and say, see you tomorrow, God. No, 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 no. It's a collaboration. Place yourself in saying, what am I doing in bringing the kingdom of God to earth? What am I doing in my life that aligns with the will of God? One theologian said it this way, let your kingdom come starts with me, not we. Your kingdom come starts with me. And that reminded me of James chapter 1 and verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. 
but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his what? Doing. So this prayer is about actively participating in the kingdom of God and the will of God on earth. If you want to be blessed in your doing, align your doing with the will and the purposes of God. If you want to be blessed in your marriage, align your marriage with the will and the purpose of God. You want to be blessed in your family, align your, your purpose and your will with the will and the purpose of the heavenly Father. I have a dear friend who's become a mentor. His name's Robert Berger. Robert has pastored a church in Peru for over 20 years. Robert was a wild surfer from San Diego and had never even experienced church and, and, and came to know Christ. And, and he and his wife were married. They were young. And God put on his heart Peru. Not knowing anything or much about Peru, they literally, instead of praying, God, you do something in Peru, he said, Lord, here I am, send me. So they raised enough money for airline tickets one way to Peru, and they moved to Lima as a young couple with a young child, and they literally know nobody. He, 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 would, he tells the story now in one of his books called Honoring God. He tells the story about how he would have to pray, and he would go check the mail and, and just believe that God would put it on someone's heart to send a check so they can make all their payments for the month. Truly an act of faith. Multiple times in the past 20 years, terrorists have focused in on him, have robbed him, have held him hostage, broken in the church, stolen the safe. I can imagine that multiple times he said, Lord, this is too hard. I'm moving back to San Diego to become a surfer. This is too hard, Lord. This is too difficult. But he prayed this prayer that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today, 20 years later, Pastor Robert is on the council to advise the president of the country of Peru. His church is now in five cities, and they, 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 they average on a weekend attendance anywhere from sixteen to 18,000 people. So when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, you can't drop the mic and walk off, but, but what you have to do is say, how can I participate in bringing the kingdom of God to Centennial? How can I participate in bringing the kingdom of God to Denver? How can I participate in bringing the kingdom of God to my family and my neighborhood and my city? So when we pray, it moves us to collaborate with God. The third thing is it moves us to be cleansed by God. Verses 11 and 12 says, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, many people, and, and it's perfectly fine, they separate these two sentences. But for the sake of time, I, as I begin to look at these, I really see this as a continuation. Give us our, our daily bread, give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And the reason I see this as one is because God is both concerned about our physical and spiritual need. God is, is, is concerned about our physical and spiritual state. And so what God does is he heals our soul. He, he puts right our spirit so that he can direct our destiny. So that he can direct us and lead us and guide us. And so Jesus said it best in John chapter 6 verses 32 through 35. And Jesus said to them, listen up, listen up. I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What was Jesus saying? When you get Jesus in your heart, when you get Jesus in your life, he begins to work on your soul and your mind to renew your mind. And he gives you the strength. He gives you the ability to forgive, to show grace, and to show mercy. You cannot forgive apart from accepting the forgiveness of God. So Jesus, when he says, I am the bread of life, we go, oh, that's great. I love bread. Fresh bread is good. I'll take you, Jesus. But what Jesus is really concerned about are the results of the bread. You see, you eat to gain fuel and energy for the day. Remember a few years ago when Michael Phelps was in the Olympics and I got the Sports Illustrated edition and he ate eight to 10,000 calories for breakfast. It was a table nearly as big as this stage, and it had food all, and he would literally eat for an hour. And it was not healthy stuff. I mean, biscuits and gravy and bacon and sausage and eggs. My type of breakfast from Oklahoma. <clears throat> Why did he have to eat that much? Exactly. Because the results were it was going to give him the energy to be an Olympic swimmer. And the reason Jesus wants you in his life is so that you will have the strength in your weakness to forgive the unforgivable. So that Jesus can give you the ability and the strength to show mercy when you're done showing mercy. So that Jesus can come and use you as a grace agent when you say, I cannot show grace anymore. I am done with this, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Take a bite from me and I will give you the strength. I will give you the grace. I am sufficient for you today. And, and I'm just reminded of the lady in Luke chapter 7 it says I tell you her sins and they are many but they have been forgiven so she has shown much love when you understand that you have been forgiven much it's easy to forgive much when you understand that you have received unreasonable grace it's easy to show unreasonable grace when you have encountered Jesus as merciful it becomes easy to show mercy He will give you the strength you need to do what he's called you to do. So I see this as one. Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, physical, but it's also spiritual. Forgive us our debts so that we 
and forgive our debtors. Let me just say this. I have an entire series I taught in Oklahoma on taking offense and living in bitterness and offense. And if that's you this morning, just release that. It's not doing you any good, and you think it's hurting the other person, but it's not. In fact, later in this text, Jesus says, if you aren't willing to forgive others, I can't even forgive you. And so it all begins with receiving God's grace and his forgiveness. Then he will give you the strength and the empowerment to forgive others. If you've tasted the the goodness of God, the mercy of God, don't withhold that from a person in your life. Freely you have received, freely give. And so this prayer, the purpose of prayer is that it moves us into accepting and receiving the cleansing work of Jesus. And the fourth thing, and the last thing, and the most difficult thing, is that prayer moves us to accept that God is in control. Now, for all of you control freaks in the room, this is not an easy prayer to say, is it? I hate to fly. And someone asks, are you afraid of heights? Not necessarily. Then why are you afraid of, uh, to fly? Because I'm not in charge and I'm not driving the aircraft. Very simple. My fear is based on the fact that I'm not in control. And what I've learned in serving God for 35 years and and leading a church and now planting a church is that we are really in control of less than what we think we're in control of. And the tighter we hang on to control, the more we fail. And the more we let go and say, God, lead us not into temptation, which literally means sin, but deliver us from evil, we're saying, Lord, you're the great leader. You're the great shepherd. And Psalm 23 reminds us that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What is that saying? God is a good leader. He is a good shepherd. And he will lead you to to places of plenty, to where he can feed you and restore you and heal you. And he can get to know you. We serve a good God. He's a faithful God. He's a gracious God. In fact, the Bible says that that he has more patience than you and I. He's long-suffering. And so when you understand that about God and you see him as a good father and a holy God, you can say, lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil. So that job that you didn't get that you thought was right for you and you prayed about, it was really Jesus intercepting you and saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to direct you and lead you and keep you from 
evil. That school that you applied for and you just knew it was the right fit and you didn't get accepted and you go, man, Jesus, what happened? And he goes, no, 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 I'm directing you and guiding you and leading you away from evil. Here's a good one. Uh, that, that, that person you thought was going to be your spouse and you even prayed God them into your life and Jesus in the last moment says, no, 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 I'm going to protect you and lead you and guide you and guard you and govern you away from evil. When God is in control, you can simply put your trust in Him. Put your trust in Him. He is in control. So maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe you're, this is your first time to South. The purpose, is of, the purpose of prayer is not for you to perfect it but for you to, to allow it to perfect you. It moves you into God's collective. It moves you into collaboration with God, seeing the world the way He sees it, allowing your heart to break for what breaks His. Seeing needs and fulfilling the, the need, being the answer to someone's prayer. That's what it means to move into collaboration with God moves us into being cleansed and setting us free and filling us from the inside out. So many times we're looking for the external to bring pleasure to the internal, but it's really when the Holy Spirit begins to work on the internal that brings pleasure to the external. The joy of the Lord is my strength, Nehemiah declared. And then finally, finally, it moves us to accept that God is in control. Lead me, guide me, and govern my life. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I know this can be difficult, but really prayer is just access into your presence. So God, just let me say on behalf of this church, thank you that you've made a way to fellowship and commune with us seems really imaginable. The God of the universe who spoke into existence all that we can see, touch, and feel would say, I want to have a relationship with you. It's all you've ever desired is that your people would know you. And so we thank you for that. I pray blessings upon this congregation. I pray blessings upon this staff, the leaders, the elders. And God, I just join my faith with theirs and know that the greatest days of South Fellowship are ahead of it, not behind it. You've called this church with a purpose and aligning to be a part of your will and your purpose on bringing the glory of Jesus to this city and to this neighborhood. May it be done. May it be done. God, we worship you. We honor you. With every head bowed, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the scripture says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe that's you and you wandered into this place, drugged by a friend, and showed up here today not knowing what to expect. The Holy Spirit's working on your heart and the Apostle Paul says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. It's that simple. 
if that's you, I just want to urge you and encourage you to take that step towards God. As you draw near to Him, the promise is He will draw near to you. I don't know if this is custom here, but I really feel in my heart just to pray with you for a minute. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, Sean, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer because a prayer is not magical. It's not what brings the totality of salvation and healing. The scripture says it's confession and belief. So right now where you are, just say, Jesus, you're my Lord. I give you everything. I worship you. I believe you who the word of God declares you to be. My Savior, my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give God a hand clap of praise?